Coming to you live, this is your MTG Action Forward News Team. Hello, this is MTG Action 4 News. Thanks for taking the time to get the latest updates from your CMD Tower News Team. I'm Mr. Comet Number 5. And I'm Murphus. And I'm Josh Lee Kwai. And I think we're getting ready to hear about some. So the game I wanted to talk about, uh, I was actually able to play some IRL magic. Felt kind of nice. I felt like it had been a month since I got to play any games. And uh, it was a five person pod. So the game took forever, or at least it felt that way. Um, It was the Goad, Duff, Single Aaron, the Godfather, and myself. Um, And really, I just want to hit on that I was playing Savine. So I hate that deck. Flashback sucks. It's boring. But I, I'm sticking to it. It's my Just Guy build. I can't take apart the deck. I don't. There's nothing else Just Guy I'd want to build. So I'm playing Savine. It's in the rotation, and I'm literally doing nothing. I am playing land. I think I got a Ristic study on turn four. Still doing nothing other than just making everyone hate me. Uh, sure, I get to seven mana and end up overloading Rift because I'm just well. I feel like I got to do something this game. But the whole time, and I didn't tell them even after the game was over, I had two-thirds of my infinite combo in my hand, because I had Elsha, the infinite, and Kaikar, and it's like, just get me top, just get me top, and I will burn through this deck, and I will win, and I could never get there. But the most interesting play was single Aaron, Wild Ricochet, my expropriate. So Ooh. he got his Ooh. copy... And initially, it was a big debate of, like, does he get my expropriate and then the copy? And it's like, no, you don't gain control of the spell. You just, if it targeted, you could have redirected the target. So um, he resolved his first, and then I resolved mine, because uh, that's the way the turn order worked. But since I technically went last, I my extra turns went first, because I was the last one to go on the stack. So, uh, you know, he ends up stealing a bunch of stuff. I tried to steal the Godfather. It's someone, uh, Josh, in our play group that likes to choose Chaos instead of Calm. So he actually gave me an extra turn. So I had two extra turns. Literally did nothing. And of course, the Warclaw deck with Trample just, uh, you know, beat us all to death. So it was embarrassing that I uh, played Rhystic Steady and Expropriate in the game and literally did nothing with it. You, you, never, you never pick time. That's just... That's expropriate 101. You never pick time. It yeah. worked out for him, though, because me not taking his gore claw made it to where I died. Just it still seems like bad, bad odds. I think I've only <laughs> yeah, ever seen I, I, one game where uh, expropriate was cast and that player didn't win. Besides when it's get countered and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, they actually were trying to counter it, but I had a Besiju uh, uh, who shelters, and so oh, I kept so they using that to make yeah, it uncounterable. Nice. Yeah, nice. Uh, but I think that also we I think we did the math. Besiju that game dealt twelve damage to me. Mana Confluence did another five. So I mean, I borderline killed myself. Those are rookie no. numbers, man. You got to get those numbers <laughs> up. <laughs> the OG Besiju, you, you got to say that now. Oh, yeah, that's for real, true. man. God, we're that old. <laughs> How old are you? I have to say OG besiege you. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Josh, uh, why don't you talk us through a game that you may have recently played that you thought was interesting? Sure. So I was in a game and I was playing my Rune Blink deck. I don't remember all the other decks, but I know one was a Cardor deck, a Goad deck, and okay. which is a cool deck, but also a very annoying deck if you've played against <laughs> it because you cannot. Yeah, you just are always can't do what you want to do. And actually, particularly... 
uh, annoying when you're playing the blink deck because most of your creatures don't really want to attack and they just yeah. make yeah so they're just like sorry you got to run that into something and you're like wait do I want to blink that so I don't run it into something but I'd rather blink this other thing and so it was just kind of an annoying game where I just never found my couldn't get my footing real well in the game it felt like um, and then I don't I don't I won't go too crazy but I did end up winning the game and I, I assembled um, one of my favorite little combos not an infinite combo but I got panharmonicon out. And I had Venzer Shaper Savant. And I was oh, able yeah. to, yeah. And I was able to just over the course of like two turns, because um, when you have Venzer out, you can cast it, have it target itself with its ETB and something else because of Panharmonicon. So it becomes like yeah. a cheaper cap size. And then just slow. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Just slowly like bounce everybody's. I think we were down to three players by the time I assembled that because the Carter deck yeah. had made us kill another person. And, you know, just bounce enough lands that they were just pretty much done. So, <laughs> yeah, that that, was... uh, something something similar like that had happened a month or so ago. I was playing Empress Galena, and I mm. think I ended up making the players quit because I literally stole everything. <laughs> I, I just like I was untapping every turn and just taking every permanent I possibly wanted. So uh, it becomes hard for people to win when you bounce all their lands and or steal their lands. So, yep, that's what happened. I figured... I, I could have tried to bounce all their regular permanents, but it was fastest to go after lands until they just saw like, <laughs> oh, we have to we have to concede now because we only have one, one land. So <laughs> I love it's that. a little That's mean, very, but like uh, the corridor deck is going to make games take long, so it just feels like yeah. it felt fine to me to do it. Yeah. Well, and I will say like that seems like a like if if someone's going to say, hey, describe Josh. Like, I would say, like, that's, a, like, a little controly, but it's not infinite. It's like, hey, right. this is kind of an interesting thing. And there might be something more, if, you know, some people would probably do that and try to bounce two things, opposed to, like, the big brain play of, well, I'll just keep bouncing Vincer uh, with that extra Panharmonicon trigger. So Yeah, right. You it's love. not infinite. It's just a lot. <laughs> and so you can't complain, you right? Need. So you can't complain. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, Murphy, have you been able to get a game in recently? Yeah, we've actually been able to play a lot of uh, a lot of magic here the last few weeks down in Southwest nice. Missouri, which has been nice. Um, our play group and uh, two things come to mind. Uh, the first one, and this just a uh, uh, kind of a a big idea, is that long games aren't bad, but slow games are. Like pace of play really determines whether a game is fun for the whole table or not. So that's, that's just an idea fair. that I've yeah. been kind of workshopping and thinking through. Um, but the game that I am thinking of in particular, I uh, I got to, we, every once in a while, we bump uglies. And so we play like our highest powered decks and just like see where it goes, right? And I have uh, my baby. Since 2016, I've been babying this uh, Vile Smasher Thrasios deck, and somehow the heart. table, I, I, it is everything that I want to do in Magic. Everything, still my uh, favorite deck too. Yeah, it's it's great, and there's a lot of ways to build it. I, I've built it. Um, it's got a low curve. Uh, I can still Vile Smasher people out, which is great. Uh, in I was playing against a vehicles deck. And it was like a, a Shurikai kind of maxed out kind of deck, which I mean, it's Shurikai, so it's doing powerful things, but it's not like gonna, the ceiling's still low uh, on a Shurikai deck. But 
he kept tagging me with the omen keel. The player kept tagging me with the omen keel because he knew I had a notion thief in my deck somewhere. I, I don't run tutors <laughs> or anything in there. It's like one in 99 odds. I don't like those odds for me drawing. He exiled uh, all of my combo win conditions. All of them <laughs> in, two, in two attack steps. Just hit no lands, but exiled one half of each of my combos. So it just brought me back to 2017 doing things the old fashioned way with, you know, a Nexus of Fate and a Vile Smasher out with a Seedborn Muse. And you just, let's cast so many spells that everybody dies. I still lost. I got, I got tagged by a Shurikai one too many times, but it was, it was just a brutal reminder of you always have to have a backup plan. You always have to have a backup plan. Well, that's the great thing about Vile Smasher, right? Is that it will win the game. My Vile Smasher deck doesn't have any combos. It's just all ramp removal and a couple of big spells because it's just like, whatever. You'll just eventually die because I'm going to keep casting things and you, you're going to keep, right? So if I just <laughs> if I just have a lot of mana, the Thrasios will give me the cards and Vile Smasher will deal damage. So everything else is just stop you from killing me. Totally. And and it really only, I think I cast Dig Through Time three times in a row, Ooh, like that three turns glorious. in a row. It, it was it was beautiful. And uh, the thing with uh, Dig Through Time and the odds not being ever in your favor is that when you, uh, what is that, 24 someone in one rotation of the table, yeah. you don't make any friends. Right. So <laughs> I, I lost the next turn cycle, but... I got to, I sped the game up by a significant margin. So that was really fun and taught me some valuable lessons, but Vile Smasher can grind them out even when you don't have other win conditions available because it's just so efficient. I like what so. you said there about um, you don't mind games being long, but you don't like it when they're slow. Jimmy and I have talked a lot recently about how this format seems to be speeding up and that's not our favorite direction to be going in. And then people come and they say, but you say you don't like long games. And it's like, yeah, I don't like games where... I'm sitting there for 30 minutes in between my turns, but I also don't want the game to end on turn seven. That's a, those are two different things, uh, you know. So yeah, total length of game is is different than you know how many turns you get. Because like you said, if actions are coming like pretty fast and furious, and it feels like you know I'm not having to wait a long time in between what, what I get to do, then that's that's a great speed of play. But I still want the game to go a little bit later than they're currently going. I mean, I don't know if I want to drag us into the weeds on the conversation about speed of format. But I, I thought that was an interesting statement by you, Murph, Murphy. Um, so, sorry, I might call you Murph on accident because we have a Murph over here. And I'm, I'm, my mouth just used to saying it that way. Right. That's, that's one Murph. of the things people call me all the times, uh, all the time. <laughs> so, no worries. Uh, but, yeah, I think, not again, not to get too far in the weeds, but... Pace of play makes all the difference for fun, like a fun quotient, right? Like everybody being able to do their thing in a timely manner. Um, and I, I'm thinking through different ways that works and how we can mitigate slow play and playing. There's a difference between slow play and playing slowly, right? Like, yeah. I, I just don't know exactly where that distinction lies yet. So one, one thing I do at GPs, because... Um, and obviously we haven't been to GPs in years, but I'm hoping they're coming back. <laughs> uh, this is a strategy that may work for some people where, you know, at a G at a GP or a commander um, fest or something like that. A lot of times there'll be a lot of people waiting to play with Jimmy and I and, and people like that. And so I feel a real responsibility of like, we got to move through the games fast enough. So everybody gets a chance here. And so one of the things I say when we sit down is like, listen, everybody's got, I, everyone just play fast. Okay. Like it's okay if you don't make the right decision or if you know you're not finding the optimal line, 
But the last thing we want is, you know, everybody sitting here for 10 minutes while somebody thinks the return. Just just make game yeah. actions, have fun, don't worry too much. You know, and I say, and I'm saying this now so that when it's when you're thinking for too long and I, I go, hey, let's get going here. You don't get mad at me. We're setting that expectation at the start, right? So like when yeah. when it starts to be like, hey, you're thinking too long, I'm going to call you out on it. And it's not trying to be rude, but we just set that expectation just now. So, you know, if you a lot of times if you do that at the start, like then when you have to do it during the game of, hey, let's get going here. Let's try and move up the pace of play. It's not rude, but if it comes out of nowhere and you didn't set that expectation at the start, then it can kind of be off-putting to people. Totally, yeah, and it's it's expectations that set us up. I, my day job, we talk about expectations being opportunities for resentment. Yeah, right. Like right. that's that's just unmet expectations are a landmine, and so being able to set those expectations ahead of time, especially for something as delicate as hey, play faster, uh, that can feel really bad to be that guy. Uh, I don't like being that guy. Um, yeah, nobody does. No, nobody does. I, yeah, it's it's hard. But I'm stoked that you guys have those kind of conversations to keep it moving and set expectations. That's uh, you know, uh, psychologist Brene Brown, right? She says uh, clear is kind, yep. and I I can dig that. So compassionate directness, we call it at the command zone. There you go. It's one of our core Ooh, philosophies. Yeah like that. Well, guys, let's head over and hear about our amazing Patreon. Do you like CMD Tower content? Do you wish you could have more of it? Well, you should head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash CMD Tower. That's where we really lean on the community for help and running our channel, but also giving back to you as well. So for just literally a buck a month, you can join and get tons of soft value, opportunities to be on the show, interact with the collective in our very lively chat. And then for even just five, 15 or 25 bucks, you're going to get swag. You're going to get RK post tokens. Really? It's one of the best values out there patreon.com slash cmd tower all right now to cover what's going on in your local multiverse what's the plane chase all right well uh obviously we got josh here so we wanted to get his uh thoughts on sriracha and everything non-magic related just kidding (laughs) uh no we uh absolutely wanted to take this time to really like Peel back the curtain a little bit. You know, I've been a, a fan of, of your channel for probably the last like five years. I think I started following you guys maybe like episode three of Game Nights on. Wow. And OG Besaju uh, and that. Yeah, I know. Uh, gosh, I'm just showing my age today. And uh, but no, it's it's one of these things that you guys have had such a tremendous growth uh, not even just from a popularity standpoint, from a content quality standpoint, the the size of your team, we thought it would be fun to kind of, if we could break down Command Zone and its growth and what you've personally gone through in kind of three chunks. The beginning, you know, uh, and, and I found some clips on YouTube that I didn't even know existed uh, that were like from back in 2015. Uh, to, you know, the middle where you guys kind of had that, hey, Game Nights is popular. We're starting to get guests on there. But still, you know, I felt like you guys were very clear cut. Like, hey, we would love it if Watsy would bring us on for preview cards and stuff like that. But, you know, we're still doing our own thing. And then to kind of end it with, I mean, you guys have really evolved into, I think when people think Magic the Gathering, they immediately think Commando. Um, and they think the content that you guys put out, you guys are doing panels. So we thought we'd kind of take your journey into those three uh, three chunks. So right, sounds fun. 
Except for the starting clips part. Out, now I'm nervous. Kitchen table fables. Oh yeah, <laughs> seem to be like your guys's first venue into like live video. Um, it's the first uh, stuff that I saw on YouTube that really kind of had you guys, you know, with live action. So I'm curious. What was kind of the thought behind Kitchen Table Fables? Uh, was that like something to see? Hey, do we want to get into like actual video video? Or, you know, was it just, hey, we want to freshen up the channel? Um, so I think, you know, Jimmy and I, we come from the professional side of the business. So he worked, you know, he was in a Disney movie and I worked on movie trailers for like Star Wars and Avengers and Fast and Furious and stuff like that. So we definitely came to Los Angeles wanting to be filmmakers, you know. So okay. You, and we love magic and and content creation for magic has been an outlet for that. But I think we saw an opportunity to do some stuff in a vein that was different than everything that was was being done. And I think at that time we were kind of exploring a lot of different things. I, I was doing a, a, a series with the professor called In Response, which was like a debate show a la Pardon the Interruption on ESPN or something like that. Okay. And I'm not sh- we hadn't done game nights yet. Uh, we'd been kicking around sort of what we might do with gameplay, but we hadn't really figured out how that would manifest or anything like that. So we we're I think we we're just looking for to experiment, looking to, f- to kind of figure out where we might try some stuff, um, because at the time, like it's, it's funny to say this now, but kind of like the most popular magic content that existed was like limited stuff. It was it was draft videos. And, you know, then it. And there was, of course, the Pro Tour and GP coverage and stuff like that. And those were kind sure. of like the top tier magic content. And we were obviously not going to be able to do those things because we don't have the resume of a LSV or a Reed Duke or something like that. So it was hard for us to kind of, you know, foray into the, the we love limited and draft and sealed and stuff. But like we don't have we just can't back up anything we say. <laughs> sure. Because who are you idiots? You know, how many Pro Tours have you won? You know, we'll, we'll zero. <laughs> Well, you know, our our acumen as far as like filmmaking and stuff was was pretty high. And that's where a lot of our, you know, skill set and what we felt our competitive advantage came from. So I think we were looking for ways to leverage that uh, production quality and, you know, sort of doing things that maybe other people couldn't do from the standpoint of like, I can't draft like Reed Duke can draft, but he can't make a video like I can make a video. So how can I, yeah. you know, so sorry, Reed, maybe he can now. Maybe Steven Spielberg. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> But you know what I'm saying. So I, I yeah. think that was it. That was in an experimental period. And so Kitchen Tables Fables was fun to try and like, okay, well, what if we did some like, you know, theater of the mind type uh, fictionalized short form sure. stuff. And I think we were a little either behind or ahead of our time, depending on how you feel about like Vine and stuff. But TikTok didn't exist yeah. yet. And short form stuff certainly is not what YouTube wants you to be doing. Uh so two and a half minute little comedy sketches that is yeah. just that is just not like uh, incentivized on the platform. Maybe we'd do better now on something like TikTok or something else. It's always something we kick around bringing back is the kitchen table fables. But uh, we've kind of moved in other directions now. So it's not like yeah. we couldn't do it, but it's not. We're just looking around. We're like, well, yeah, that'd be fun. But when would we have time? Yeah, I mean, it, it always boils down to time. Right. Um, you know, because the the one thing that I, I think you guys have done a great job from afar, I will say, is as much as this is your job, I feel like you guys have embraced it to where, hey, let's not overextend ourselves from a business perspective, because then maybe we're going to start to lose a little bit of the passion we have. And what really, you know, makes you guys connect with people is people could genuinely see that you have passion and you care about the game. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad it looks that way from the outside because I feel like we've overextended very often and uh, we've just, you know, gotten ourselves out of it by working 80 hour weeks and like, you know, do, <laughs> doing this, you know, the stuff that people can't see. But definitely. Yeah. I think in particular game nights, like we're very ambitious with the show. And so we're always like biting off more than we can chew. And we're always like, well, let's try this this time. And in the middle yeah. of it, we're like, why did we think we could do that? Well, it's too late now. <laughs> we have to, you know, we got to make it. So then we, we get to the finish line on that. And we're like, we did that. Let's try this this time. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I wouldn't take any accolades as far as like um, not uh, about being moderate about it. Like we're, we're bad at moderation. We're always like just just totally a million miles an hour in sixth gear like at all times it feels like but that's how we like it too you know yeah it's not as fun if you're doing something you're already done it's it's way more fun for us to like i don't know can we do this let's try it you know (laughs) maybe it'll be horrible but let's go (laughs) (laughs) so the other thing i was kind of curious on and i mean you, you tapped into it a little bit um you you had editing experience filmmaking experience um first game nights came out in 2017 um, obviously it's evolved a, a, a billion times for where it was, but it, even in the beginning though, it was still really, really good quality. Um, it was some of the better IRL video play on YouTube, uh, considering really the only other watchable stuff was like goldfishes, um, you know, commander series, but that's all MTGO. Right. Commander what versus the, I think existed at that time too. And they were, they, they were and continue to do a good job. Yeah. But see, here's the, the, interesting thing commander versus i've always felt and i i feel comfortable saying this as someone who is like i am a competitive player but i also watch the stuff for entertainment i would say commander versus a lot more educational because it's just watching a bunch of guys play where you guys did this beautiful blend of we're going to teach you about the game you're going to experience the game and this isn't just a gameplay series this is content what were some of those early challenges that maybe you guys didn't see coming, even with your experience in the industry? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a bunch uh, production wise. You know, we had some production experience, but producing magic gameplay stuff is its own beast. So there's just little things like figuring out glare on cards and like what the best angles are and, you know, how you have to play so that it's easy to edit. So. Anybody mm-hmm. who's been on game nights or extra turns will probably be able to give you this. We have this whole litany of things that we're like, okay, so when we're shooting gameplay, here's kind of the rules. You, It's down to like, hey, when you untap, untap really quickly because we need to be able to upcut a lot of the action. When you keep your hands off the table, when you play a card, put the card down and get your hand out of there as fast as you can because okay, all that like little bit of time fiddling with your cards and makes the editing a lot tougher to make it look smooth. You end up with a lot of jump cuttiness or a lot of like hands moving on the board where I don't want the audience to be looking. And that magic is really hard to consume. It's really hard to understand. And so we are very focused on making sure that the audience is like only looking at the spot we need you to be looking at right now. Because if you start like wandering around because somebody's hands are moving on another part of the board that doesn't matter, you can just totally miss the important thing that was supposed to happen. And if you miss that, then you don't have context for like the next play or the play after that or the play three turns. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of of the learning was just through trial and error over the course of, you know, the first 10 episodes or whatever, figuring out you know, how we're going to direct the people to play the game when we're shooting the show um, and all the little technicalities of, you know, the lighting and the cameras and everything like that. So I think there's just been just tons of growing pains. And then of course, we added in visual effects and that causes you to shoot even in even a different way. And, you know, the cards didn't used to like fly up off the table in the same way. 
they used to fly yeah. up, but the, the card would actually stay down. And I, at some point we decided like, no, no, I want the card to jump off the table and it's not on the table anymore. It's you're looking at it. Well, that requires yeah. you to get your hand the hell out the way so that it can fly <laughs> up. Cause it looks really weird if a card flies through your hand. <laughs> so that, that was another shift that we had to make. And so there's all kinds of just minor things over the course okay. of time that, you know, and then, then there's the story aspect. I think that's the part that we had the strongest early on because I've been editing professionally, you know, at universal and Disney and everything for, you know, almost 15 years at the point when we started Game Night. So I had a really good, uh, strong story sense and just how to put puzzle pieces together. But there's a lot of footage, right? We've got 25 hours of footage sometimes for one game from the various yeah. cameras. And I think people don't understand how difficult it is to cut the uh, interview portion with the game portion because you have infinite choices. So imagine the simplest of plays happens. Yeah. You know, turn two, somebody plays an arcane signet, it flies up. What are your choices in that moment? Well, I can have the player that played it say something about it. I can have the player that played it say something about it. And then we go to one of the other players who's like, that sucks because blah, blah, blah. They got a four drop commander and they can play it next turn. Or I can cut to a different player saying their response to what the thing was and what their perspective on it is. Or I can have that player say this sucks first and then have the player that played it say what they thought about it. So that's just for a turn two play, right? Think of when you're on like turn turn five and a complicated card comes down that's going to cascade triggers into five other cards and you're like okay so jimmy thinks this about it josh thinks that about it you know megan thinks this about it and mel actually played the card and here's what she's trying to set up what order and who i can't show all four people responding to everything that happens so it's like yeah so we're always figuring out okay what what's the story for this player during the game and how does that arc and do i need them to talk here 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 to to keep that through line going so that the audience can keep up. Oh, Mel's behind and she needs to catch up on mana so she can pull off this oh, thing. Okay. Oh, Megan's ahead and she's hoping that she can close out the game before blah, blah, blah. Josh is, you know, just needs to find a certain card and then this will happen. And it's like, how do I keep the audience so that they have tabs on all those storylines going the whole time? It's, it's reality TV is what it is, right? It's survivor basically. Um, and reality TV is like the hardest things to edit you know all the editors on reality tv shows make the most money of any of those crews right because oh they are, really yeah because they are tell they have to create the story from whole cloth there's no script so and there's infinite you know choices as far as the order that you show what in so oh wow yeah are- totally and i i think like as a somebody who's been consuming your content for a long time right like i i remember listening to the podcast early on like episode two episode three as like Sorry. the beginning of the, uh, it was the beginning <laughs> of the journey, right? Uh, um, but I, the question that I've always wrestled with watching game nights, knowing that is true, right? Like this is reality TV. There's a million decisions you get to make, and you have to construct a narrative. Uh, I guess as a fan and a viewer, uh, how do you balance constructing the narrative and also honoring, you know, IRL? actual play like how does that balance work as you guys are designing the content and even playing the game yeah i mean the game itself is played and we always tell people we're gonna you know we're gonna ask you to do certain technical things so that it works for the way that we edit the show but we're not going to influence the decisions you make or you know how the game itself plays out so we're not telling what card to play just where to put it on the play mat kind of and so please play in a manner that will you think will make you know you best have fun or win the game or whatever it is you like about commander. Like I think a lot of people in real life play commander for different reasons. Some, and 
I think every person is different when they sit down. Some games I sit down and I haven't won in a while and I want to win this game. And then sometimes, <laughs> you know what I mean? But sometimes that same night, I already won that game. And later I'll make a decision that's like, eh, I could try real hard to win, but I haven't actually ever cast this card before. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I'm not trying to win as hard as possible. Or this just seems really funny in this situation. Maybe it's not the best card, but whatever. I'm going to play it. And so I think from game to game, even turn to turn, definitely night to night, a player's um, what they're going after and what they're trying to do in a game can change. And I think every, just game nights is like that too. Uh, so we don't tend to influence what's happening in the game. I know people think that it's scripted or whatever. It's never scripted. It's always genuine right. to that gameplay. And then what we do is we go into the interviews and we have somebody who's done a transcript of the entirety of the game. And we start walking through like so-and-so played an arcane signal on turn two. What'd you think about that? Then this happened. What'd you think about that? Sometimes, you know, we have a bunch of people in the room who are like, you know, helping people remember. You remember they had this card. Were you worried about that? And the person's like, oh, yeah, that's why I did that. And then they kind of go into that. And then sometimes we come up with funny little jokes. Oh, you know, it'd be funny if you said that. And then we'll have... <laughs> Josh in his interview say this and you're like, oh, yeah, that'll be funny because we were both thinking that, but but we can make a little bit out of it. So that's where the sort of fun and the improv comedy of it all sort of comes out. Um, so it Game Nights is really mostly about trying to be entertaining, right? Like I think right. we want people to be entertained and we also want them to feel like they got some better understanding of magic and, you know, hope maybe we showed them a cool combo they wouldn't have thought of. But those are not primary. Entertainment is primary. Well, and I would say, Josh, to that, that's where Extra Turns is a perfect piece of content. And I'm glad that you guys were able to uh, more consistently put that out uh, because, you know, like I know my uh, other co-host, uh, Big Tuck, like he likes Commander Versus because he's not here for the entertainment. He's just here for pure magic. And that's where I feel like Extra Turns is like the perfect blend of your guys's like grade A production value. But it is just magic content. Like, if you just want to watch a game, go go do extra turns. If you want to be entertained, go do game nights. Yeah, and I think, you know, you you have to think strategically about your content the, the same way you have to think strategically about how you build your deck and how you play the game of magic, right? So extra turns is aimed at a different audience than game nights. Now they have some overlap, but we like to think of game nights as something that, you know, our ultimate goal is you could watch that show and, you know, hopefully have some fun and be able to watch it without really understanding magic, you know, oh, give yeah. you enough context. And that's why the big reactions like, Hey, tell me that you were scared of that card and then tell me why. But at least if you don't understand the intricacies of all the rules and interactions, you know, well, I don't know, but Josh is scared. You know, I can at least follow it, right? Like, I can follow. I don't know. He didn't like that, though. And then, oh, he's really excited about that, though. And, oh, Jimmy, but Jimmy's doing this, I guess so. And that thing's scary to him. And, like, you can at least follow it. And we've had people send us pictures of, like, their kindergarten class that they teach that loves to watch game nights every every month when it comes out, you know? And they're, like, four and five years old. They can't understand all the intricacies of the stuff. But they just, they can still follow it and enjoy it, though. And so if you think of that as, like, I like to think of it kind of like Pixar movies, right? Like Pixar movies are animated movies that are at a base level for kids, but they're, they make them so that an adult can enjoy them. There's a, there's jokes in there that the kids definitely do not get that are only for the adults. Right. Yep. And that's kind of game night. So there are intricacies in there that definitely new players just go right over their head. Those are, right. you know, we put that in there so that if you're an experienced player, you can still hopefully enjoy the show. And so I, I sort of think of it like Pixar in that way. So, and of course, we want a piece of content that's going to create commander players, 
right? And that's what Game Nights really is. That was our love song to the format, our, our love letter to the format. And, you know, it's sort of like what you could think of like top of funnel. It's supposed to bring in the biggest amount of people. And then we've got extra turns that now caters to the people who have learned enough and gotten into Commander already that they can understand and they don't need us to explain as much. They can follow it. And that's why we don't have as much hand-holding and those games are a lot shorter. And the podcast kind of fits right into that area of like, if you're into it, now we're, we're just going to sit here and discuss like one topic about the format for an hour. You know, yeah. those are people that are like really into the format. And so, but if you only have one of those pieces, I don't think that you're as effective as if you don't have something that's out there being like, yeah, but come on in if you're not, and we'll help you. You know, a lot of people, I think, in the in Commander and Magic, they just start in that middle area. And it's like, OK, yeah. cool. But all you can get is the people that are already interested. You know, we wanted to be out there like, yeah, but can, can we create people so that they'll become interested? And then so that was kind of this, you know, part of the strategy of Game Nights. Yeah. And that that actually brings me a question that comes to mind for me as you're saying that, Josh, is actually like as as someone who's creating content, right? How did you guys think about the growth and dynamics of your channel? Like what was what was the stepping stone from podcast to video to building a team to doing more video content to then like moving into that later third of kind of the timeline we talked about earlier, uh, partnerships and sponsorships with some of the major players, including Watsi. Yeah. So we started out and we did the podcast for two years before we even did game nights. And like you talked about, we had a sort of an experimental period where we we're doing kitchen table fables, different things with prof trying to trying some stuff. Um, and then game nights came along in late 2016 and we did an episode and it did pretty well. Um, and then we did another one and it did pretty well. And we thought, yeah, we might be onto something here. Um, we didn't know for sure, honestly, like at the time. And we hadn't been focused on monetizing or, or anything at all be- prior to this. So we just started our Patreon in late 2016 around the time Game Night started. And up till then, like we'd been paying an editor to do my show or to do our show, just paying out of pocket, just doing it for fun, uh, you know, not really thinking too much about the future or building a business out of it or anything. And then Game Nights came out and... Uh, you know, I, I looked at Jimmy or yeah, I'm pretty sure it was me looking at Jimmy and saying, so Game Nights takes a lot to do. It's not an easy show. Like this is not like a podcast where, you know, through 30 hours of editing now, but probably at the time it was probably like 20 hours of editing a week. You can kind of put this thing out. Um, Game Nights is you need a, a professional person 40 hours a week full time to do it. And so I was kind of like, you know, so in order to to try we have to like make a pretty big decision here, or at least I do, um, yeah. which is, you know, leave the job and start doing this as a job. And when, as soon as you make that decision, which we obviously did make, uh, now you're in a totally different realm of content creation. That's like, you got to pay your rent. You got to pay your yeah. car insurance, <laughs> right? Like you're in a totally different area than before yeah. where it was just fun and it didn't really matter what happened with it. And like, it's great if people watch it or whatever, but like, Nope. If this doesn't work, like you're in a little bit of trouble, right? Like, obviously, I could always go back to my old job. It's not like I lost, lost my skills or whatever, but definitely, like, it's it's not as safe a ground as you are just currently on. And so, you know, the mindset totally changed to like, okay, now now this is a business now. And as game nights continued to grow, we were like, okay, we're going to hire some people and bring on people, and that totally changes. Now it's not just your rent and your car insurance; it's 
other people's rent and other people's car yep. insurance and, you know, other people's livelihoods. And there starts to be a lot of pressure to, um, you know, make sure that you're making smart decisions long term for that kind of stuff. And also for your audience, like if you don't, if you lose your audience or you turn them against you or, you know, something happens, then, then the whole channel will go away too. So you're even more concentrated on like what works, what do they like, what do they want, you know, how can we deliver the best, most entertaining stuff to them? Because it's very important now. Whereas before it's like, ah, oh, whatever, uh, you know, we have day jobs and we're just doing this once a week. And, you know, if everybody hates it and they stop list- watching it or listen to it, you know, it's, it's not what you want to happen, but sure. you don't have, you don't have like 15 people that suddenly can't pay rent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So kind of with that, I'm curious when you guys were growing and you were like, okay, we got to, we got to get staff members. We, we need more help. Was there ever a point that you and Jimmy had the conversation of, do we need to pump the brakes? And like, do we need to slow down? Cause we need to kind of get adjusted to the, what we've had, or have you always had the mentality of if we can grow, we're going to grow and we're going to embrace it. Um, cause I mean, growth as fast as you guys have, it's kind of scary. Yeah, definitely. There's been some growing pains and it's a little bit scary, but no, neither of us have pumped the brakes kind of guys. So we never had that conversation. I don't think it's ever occurred to us to do that. It's always like, oh, there's a lot of opportunity. We should probably try and go after all that opportunity. Well, how do we do that? Okay. Well, we probably need more people. Okay, well, let's bring on more people uh, and let's try and do that. So I, I feel like, yeah, we probably, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would have grown a lot more too. Like that's really made it hard to onboard people, to find people. This is a hard niche to find people for. Like I, I know a lot of video editors, but unless you actually know magic really well, you can't work at the command yeah. zone, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't understand, like if you don't understand what you're saying, you don't know what cards to show or how to edit anything. Like you need the context of knowing the game inside and out. And so that Venn diagram of the, you know, magic players and professional, you know, filmmaking video editors, actually, yeah, yeah kind of small. <laughs> and so that's been a big, you know, a big thing. And I, I think, so the whole time we've been doing this probably since, you know, late 2017 when we got got our first sponsorship with Wizards of the Coast, um, I feel like we've always been too full as far as our bandwidth. You know, we've we've had a little bit too much to do. You know, I think production companies and agencies and stuff, they say they like to run around 70% of their bandwidth, you know, where 70% of time of people's time is taken up with the work. And I feel like we're like 85 or 90% most of the times to the point where it's like often there's stuff we wish we could do. And it's like, yes, that's a great idea. We would love to do that. No time. There's no time within our organization to pull that off. So we're constantly like, okay, so if we could hire some people and build a little team, maybe we could start trying this other stuff. And we have slowly been able to do that over time. That's why extra turns kind of came back into the fold after being gone for a while. But it takes a while to build those pieces and put them in place before you actually sort of have it. Okay, perfect. Um, one other thing that I, it's more of a comment, but I'm, I'm also curious. Uh, and I think Murph, Murph would agree with me. I would say most of the community credits the command zone for the popularity of commander. Like honestly, when you guys started doing game nights and the videos started blowing up, that's really when everything started to just like all the podcasters in the world are coming out of the woods and everyone's now making content. So how did you guys stay ahead of the curve, continue to be creative when literally, I mean, hate saying it this way, but competitors are now coming up and it's like, how do we keep people engaged with us and growing when now there's more distracting them out there? Yeah. It's an interesting question. I, we never really worry about it too much. We don't tend to talk about or worry about, you know, everybody else that's making content as far as like, I don't know. It just never really occurs to us. I don't think to, to 
to be worried. I, I, we're aware, obviously, there's a ton of Commander content compared to when we first started, and there was basically none. And I think that's really cool. I think it's great that the format's become so popular. And yeah. I want to say, too, like, it's nice of, of you guys and other people who say that, like, we're responsible for the pop- popularity of the format. But I think, I hope we have a hand in that. But I think most of that is because Commander is just awesome. <laughs> that's right? fair. Like, it's it's like people are like, well, this card you talked about is really expensive, because you talked about it. And I'm like, no, that card I talked about is really expensive because the card's awesome. I talked about it because it was awesome. But if the card sucked, like no one would, like it doesn't, it wouldn't have mattered, right? So like, I'm yeah. sorry, but it's not my fault. It's the card's fault for being awesome or whoever designed it or Watsy for not reprinting it or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I think most of the popularity of Commander is because Commander as a format just works and it is just, you know, the best way to play Magic for most people. And I think we went through this era and we went through this whole, you know, though I guess all of gaming is sort of still in the midst of this era where esports and professional gaming was really an emphasis for like 10, 15 years in there. And and I think people are starting to realize, like, hey, that stuff's all cool. But really, do you know the reason that most people play games? It's to have fun. It no. is not, yeah. It is not to turn it into some kind of job, right? Like, that's cool and everything, but most people don't play basketball to try and get in the NBA either. I know because I'll go to the gym and they're all like way too old. They will never be in the NBA, but they still play every day. You know why? Because it's fun, you know? And I think there was a a period there where, you know, we lost that. We kind of forgot that games are supposed to be fun. Most people play them for fun. They don't, you know, they're going to go and do their accounting job or they're going to go and do whatever their job is and they're going to raise their kids and they're going to have a good life. And magic is just a fun part of their week sometimes it's not something they're trying to like get on the pro tour or be in the hall of fame or whatever that's a very small you know number of people who have them that mentality and so i think that is a thing that jimmy and i really championed that should be self-evident so i think the thing you could maybe say is that maybe we accelerated some things that were probably going to happen anyway um mm-hmm. you know but i yeah, I definitely wouldn't take credit for the popularity of Commander. Commander is just a fun way to play Magic. It is, you know, undeniable. Well, totally. the, the last thing I'll, I'll actually comment, and then I'll let Murphy ask his question. Uh, I don't ever blame you guys for a card going up in price. Uh, I just blame that you guys are popular, so you're you're having these underplayed cheap cards showing people how awesome they are, and then that makes the card spike in price. Uh, so that is where it's your fault. You're just too popular. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just people just don't realize. It's like, guys, the card's always been great, but there's like 30,000 cards that you would have had to filter through or been playing 15 years ago when it was printed. Like, don't be upset that it's an obscure card and this game just has infinite possibilities, it seems like. Right. Yeah, totally. And I I, I think, uh, you know, kind of to your point, Josh, about games being for fun, which should be just totally like a, like that's a no-duh statement if there's ever been one. Like games are for fun. Uh, that's something that I've really appreciated about the last probably two years, I think, of difficulty in kind of the commander community and the larger magic community of actually, I think having the conversation of like all of this rule zero talk, all of the pregame discussion talk is all going around or or walking around this question, right? What is fun, right? It's the same question in philosophy that they wrestle with. What is good? What is, what is fun in magic? Well, fun means a lot of things to a lot of people. And I think we've started to even see the Turner, the, the, the corner turned a little bit, even in the professional level, esports level 
of magic content where you have people who are fun and engaging and entertaining and super, super, uh, their credentials on the pro tour are bananas. Also saying, man, I love playing cube because cube is fun and you get to do wacky, ridiculous things. And that's why I love cube. Um, and people venturing into like Canadian Highlander and even EDH to, to, I don't know. I remember in 20, this is 2017, our local game store here in Southwest Missouri, there was a group of about 10 of us that decided, Hey, it's, it's modern on the PT this year. We're going to try and like, we're going to try and make a run. And that was, there were fun things that happened, but that was like one of my least favorite seasons ever playing magic. (laughs) Like, I remember sitting at a playtest table uh, testing this brew that I I had, and we were in the middle of this super fun heads up modern game, and it was so interactive and great. And kind of one of the people helping us helping us test was like, "Hey, is it past turn five? The game's over. Like, flip it up, start a new one, switch out your sideboards. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go." And I was like, "Oh man, that is a that is a tremendous bummer." Uh, yeah. But what am I doing here? Like, yeah, right. If I, if I can't have fun, why am I playing this game? And so, um, I think, uh, not to, not to put too fine a point on it. I I don't blame you guys for the popularity of the format or hold you guys responsible for that. But I do think, uh, with the narrative structure, kind of that, um, reality TV vibe of game nights and, uh, the energy that you and Jimmy bring to the podcast, I think, has vitalized a large part of the community that said, no, this game is supposed to be for fun. And I think that that is you guys have an audience and uh, and uh, uh, you guys have a uh, yeah platform and you're using it to crusade for fun, which is like I think that's a big deal. And uh, there's so many of us now making content and writing content. So many of our this larger community of people trying to have fun. I think it's great. So uh, not to get too gushy, but thanks uh, for (laughs) championing fun instead of, uh, instead of, or in addition to competitiveness, because they're not mutually exclusive, but they can be. Yeah. I I like what you said there and I appreciate um, every, all the nice words. And I want to be clear because, you know, when you get, when you get a little, you know, to our size, it, one of the annoying things I'll say about it is like, Anything you say, some contingent of your audience will be mad about it. So when we (laughs) just because, you know, there are days I miss when we were a lot smaller because that was, you know, the the contingent that's mad was one person. But now the contingent that's mad is like thousands of people sometimes. And it's like, yeah. I don't we're we're constantly saying and it doesn't matter how many times I give this caveat, but I'm still going to give it again, which is like fun is you know, unique to the perspective of each individual person. And some people love the competitive aspect of the game. And we get, I've had people yell at me for ruining magic because I'm, I made commander popular and now nobody wants to play competitive magic. And it's my fault that the pro tour doesn't exist or whatever, you know? And (laughs) it's just, you know, that's, it's, it's tough to deal with all that stuff, obviously, but like, yikes. We're we're constantly on our stuff saying like whatever is fun we want you to do that if you love competitive EDH we don't look down our nose at that like if you like super casual stuff we don't look our, down our nose like uh, at that just you need to you know hopefully find the people that see the same way you do to play with because you want your paths of your play group to be at least 
coinciding, right? Heading towards a similar destination for the most part. Otherwise, it's going to be rocky. Um, that's all we generally say. But I, I'm not here to put value judgments on what anybody likes or what anybody finds fun. Because obviously, the redukes of the world and the you know those type of people, they do find the hyper competitive part of it fun. They, Murphys, in your example. They probably like that aspect of like we're testing and we're getting through it and we're being efficient about our testing and we don't need to see the, the end of that game to know how to sideboard in it and blah, 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 blah. And like that tickles the part of their brain that, you know, rings the bell that says fun for them and for yeah. you for you and on, honestly for me, too. Uh, the funny story is Jimmy and I played in a, a, a GP once and literally like midway through day one, I think we were both on track to day two and we were like. Uh, do you want to just go eat? Like, I, I, it's not fun. Like, I don't want to play. <laughs> I don't want to play four more games with my deck or three more games with my deck or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm bored of it. Like, I just, dude, yeah. yeah. Then we could just get it. We just jump in a draft, like after that, and we, you know, we we're like, whatever. I remember in a GP Vegas, I like won the first round, and the guy was totally bummed, and I was like, listen, you could here. I'm signing the thing. You, you win this round. I don't want to play anymore in the main event. I just wanted to say I was in the biggest main event of all time. Like, I'm not trying to. You know, I'm gonna go play commander. You have fun. Good luck. I'll be day two. You know, like that different people want different things out of the game. That's just, that's totally fine. So yeah, I just want to be very clear. Anybody out there who is competitive and finds that fun, that's totally cool. I I hope, uh, you know, you get to scratch that itch, but that's not for everybody. And I don't think that that mindset is necessarily like the most broad, far reaching part of the game that because games have just been around forever, not magic, but games. And for the most part, people are playing games, you know, as an escape from their normal daily lives and they're not trying to make the game their normal daily life. Right. And I, and I think that that brings to the point of, uh, speaks to that point of like fun, fun is not zero sum and competitiveness is not mutually exclusive to fun. Right. Like I'm a, I'm a competitive guy. I love the high end of the, uh, the high end of the format, uh, and playing on the stack and, and doing a lot of that kind of stuff. It, it tickles that part of my brain that loves to compete. Uh, and yet whenever we, we set these binaries up and say it is either this or this, we totally miss, uh, I think an opportunity to grow, which is, uh, just, just a bummer. So, uh, I appreciate that thought. And I, I have been there at day one of, a of, a I think it was an RPTQ, I was right there. I was like, "Oh no, this is the worst." I, I was on Lantern Control, and it was terrible. And I was like, "This, this is this might be the worst decision I've ever made." Uh, can I go home? And no, I can't because uh, somebody gave me a ride. Oopsies. Well, uh, we we got about ten minutes left, and so where I'd like to kind of end the interview portion with is like today. Like Command Zone today, you guys are strategic partners with Wizards of the Coast that, on a lot of different levels. But um, I, I've worked for mega companies uh, my entire life. Um, and so I get how you have to sometimes balance your feelings and thoughts and opinions with the company's thoughts and feelings and opinions. And the perfect example uh, that I wrote down is Prof will roast Wizards. It seems like almost bi-weekly with this is the worst set ever. This collector booster box is trash. Like he, he just brings the heat. How have you and your team balanced, hey, we still want to keep our own individuality and our thoughts and feelings, but we don't want to piss off wizards because we have a really hot take. Like, how do you guys do that? 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up this question because um, I saw it here on the sheet, and it's it's a good one, and I think no one's really asked it that cleanly before. So I'll I'll just say straight up, there's never been a conversation at the command zone that we've had I, that I can recall where we have literally said, should we say this for fear of not making them mad? It's just never come up. And I cannot remember a single time where Wizards has come to us and said anything regarding us saying anything, or please don't say anything about this, or hey, you said that and we wish you didn't. That has just never happened. Um, could it happen at some point? I suppose, right? Like in in a broad philosophical sense, that is a situation that you can imagine happening because we do have relationships with them where we talk to them about things. But it just isn't in reality a thing that happens. They don't, we criticize them. They've never once minded. They know that there's criticism out there. They know that, um, you know, all, a lot of their decisions are, uh, controversial. And they also know a lot of their decisions are not correct. They have, you know, they don't always come and say it, but a lot of times they're like, yeah, we screwed that one up. You know, in candid <laughs> conversations with people at Wizards, they'll be like, sure. yeah, we thought this, that turned out to be that. And and here's the thing, um, being in the creative business, working at, like you said, I've worked at many big companies, you know, Disney doesn't get any bigger than that in our business. And it is hard to make hundred percent correct decisions in the creative business because you're forecasting two, three years in advance where yep. culture and society and you know desire and fun and everything is gonna be. And so you're just aiming at a target that's so far out. It's like pulling the the arrow back in the bullet and closing your eyes sometimes, you know, and just being like, I hope it's anywhere close to the target. Like yeah. sometimes you just kind of have to do that. And so I think the fact that like Jimmy and I don't come out and just rail on them is more because we understand the constraints and the difficulties that they're under than it is because we think they were right or wrong in any singular decision. Because I can always say, I know what they were thinking. I don't like this decision or I don't like this thing that happened, but I don't think they're stupid. I don't think that they're evil. I know that they were probably trying X, Y, Z. That were un those are, you know, the underpinnings of that decision were probably incorrect, but they're not... You know, if you can understand that part of it, you understand that they're not made by crazy people. Like Steven Spielberg makes bad movies sometimes, right? Yeah. How is that possible? Like, how is that possible? <laughs> because it's really, really hard to make a good movie. You're yeah. When you start out, I don't care who you are. You know, Ridley Scott makes bad movies sometimes. These are guys that have been doing it for 40 years and made some of the best stuff that you've ever seen. And yet they can't bat a 100%. Why is that? Because creativity is so difficult for so many different reasons, especially on a large co collaborative scale that you're talking about. It's not like one person making a painting. This is like describing a painting to 27 painters that are each going to paint a little piece of it. And then another 27 of them are going to come in and color it. And then another 27 of them are going to have to copy that down onto another piece of painting and then deal with some sort of manufacturing and printing over here. And like, it's crazy that like at the end of the day, any movie is good. And it's crazy at the end of the day that the card game of magic, you know, makes sense and is good because of how many moving pieces there are. And so that's mm -hmm. why when we come out, I think sometimes maybe we aren't as fervent as Prof is because, I, I you know, and I love Prof, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's not often a respect for just the amount of complexity that's involved. So it's very easy to be like, of course, they should have seen this coming after it's already come out. And, you know, after it's two years down the line, like... Listen, get in a time machine, go back two years. Yeah. Look at what they knew at the time and then make the correct decision. And which is impossible to do. We can't go to that parallel universe. But I just I don't like to criticize when a movie's bad. And I don't like to criticize like I don't like to just come out and call people dumb. I might say, like, 
eh, I didn't like it. And yeah. here's why. And here's some things I think they could have done better. But I don't know what they were working with at the time exactly. So it's really hard for me to get super, super critical. No, so, that's yeah. fair. Well, yeah, I just want to say as a just to sort of button up that. So to sort of bring it back to your question, I think one of the ways that we balance it is we are just naturally sort of more forgiving of that stuff because we know the process of things. So we are not naturally inclined to act in that manner. And so that's been held against us sometimes when people are like, you know, why aren't you more mad about X, Y, or Z? And it's like, because I kind of feel for them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think they probably don't think it's very good either, either, you know, and they work for the company. They're not probably allowed to just come out and be and like just rail on it. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, listen, we know this was bad and we shouldn't have done it and we screwed up. You know, they're, those are official channels that are allowed to be said, you know, and so. I, so I can't come out and be like, those idiots, what were they thinking? A lot of times we're like, I don't like this. I can sort of, you know, at least come up with scenarios that make it so that it's like wasn't done by evil people with evil intentions who are just trying to like grab all of your money as fast as possible. Because for the most part, we talk to people from Wizards of the Coast every single day and we talk to a lot of them in a lot of different departments and they're just all good people, right? They All of them love the game. None of them are talking about bottom line and how many packs can we sell to us. None of them are. Yeah. They're always like, seriously, every single person you talk to is like Gavin Verhey or Glenn Jones or Melissa DeTora. And their eyes are like huge. And they're like, we came up with the cool mechanics. And I really like how, you know, this color pair works together in the set. And we designed some stuff that's never happened before. And then you talk to people in marketing and they're like, we worked with this cool music to come up with this music that like totally fits in with the set. And we've, we, we did all this other stuff and we traveled to these places and we looked at the blah, blah, blah. And like the, none of never, none of them have ever been like, you know, you, we're going to sell well, margins are down this quarter and yeah. uh, we need to go, increase 20% year over year. You're not getting yeah. the business speak. I'm sure there are those people at that, that, that are worried about that. That is just not the people that I've seen, you know? No, yeah, that's totally. Fair. And you know, just, just uh, what I'm hearing you say, Josh, and I think this is worth just isolating is, you know, two things. One, start with empathy, right? Like we don't know all of the decisions that are coming down the pike and how to make them. I, I can raise my hand right now and say, I would not, I would not have designed Neon Dynasty, right? Like, can we all agree? And it's a great set. I, I'm, but I'm not that guy. Uh, and then, uh, two, two, uh, it to not demonize, I think is like, it's something that should be self-evident again, but it's just not often enough because we're times are that we can, we can get hot quick, but not demonizing people for being, I, I don't know, people, uh, it seems, seems again, self-evident, but really, really beneficial to say out loud. Yeah. For the most part, people are doing the best they can and they're trying yep. to do, they're trying to be good people. Like, for the most part, if you think of all the people in your life, they are mostly like that. Not saying that everybody is, but, you know, for the most part, I think giving people the benefit of the doubt that they are trying to do, you know, the best they can. They love this game. They're trying to make it awesome. If you start from there, then listen, you can say things like the cardboard quality has been atrocious. Has it gotten a little yes. bit better? Yeah. Somebody screwed up. Somebody made a bad deal or something. I don't know the intricacies yep. of that. Somebody messed up. I'm sure they know it. You know, hopefully they're trying to fix it. But. I don't think that person probably was like, we're going to do this. <laughs> this. You know what I mean? Like, I think that person is like, oh, crap. I wish this didn't happen. Right. Like, I, I yeah. like the, you know, I hope that's the case. And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt and think that's the case. Bad actors yeah. are few and far between. Yeah. 
Well, that's literally what I was going to say is like, I think through all my years, whether it's a content creator or a consumer, um, I've never actually had real criticisms of Wizards, to be frank. Uh, most of my, I mean, other than the print quality was trash uh, the last couple of years and print availability hasn't been what I think it should be for some sets. Um, but a lot of, a lot of my hot takes honestly have nothing to do with wizards. It's like secondary price market. Wizards doesn't control that. Um, you know, it might be, uh, RC bannings of cards. Wizards has nothing to do with that with commander. So it's like, uh, I think sometimes people just like, they need a villain and a big corporate entity is a person that they can say, we don't like what you're doing. We feel like it's impacting our game. When in reality, I think if you actually kind of look at it, no one's really a villain, but it's, it's a lot of nameless. Like, yes, Sheldon is the kind of face of the rules committee, but there's way more than just him. It's this faceless, you know, group. Um, the secondary market, there is no one person that's running TCG player. Like, right. they're just going off of what people are selling. Like, recently, uh, Josh, and, and then we'll get wrapping up this part, uh, I had a very hot take with our Discord because that Neon Dynasty Hidetsugu Red being $1,000 upsets me to no sixteen hundred dollars just for all the sports fans out there it's gonna be twenty five hundred pretty soon yeah no Uh, and the fact that that's worth more than a guy's cradle frustrates me because there's no reason for that card to be selling that much but people are paying it and it's like well i'm upset but wizards has nothing to do with this it's not like they knew ha 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 we'll actually help line the pockets of our secondary sellers with this card no it was just they printed it and people wanted to pay a lot of money for it I mean, I think it's fair to say that they knew it would be a rarity and they knew that that would cause some sort something to happen in the secondary market. Now, would they be able to have given you a number or exactly? They don't know, especially since they clearly put it on a card that is iffy as far as usability at best. Exactly. I think that was a little bit of a test to see what would happen. But it's interesting that that upsets you, right? Because it's a skin. So if the people want to pay $2,500 for it, no skin off my yeah. nose, like you could buy a Ferrari if you want to, too. I can't afford one. That's great for you. You know, but I can still afford a car. You know, yeah, yeah, and then hit it. Sugu is like, whatever, you just have a regular version, it doesn't change the game for anybody. <laughs> Whereas, well, Guy's that, Cradle, on the other hand, is something that's a little bit different because it is powerful enough that you wish that you like it changes your deck yeah. if you can't afford it versus somebody that can. I mean, you know, I don't think it probably changes as much as most people think it does, but it's definitely no, no. you could not argue that it doesn't that a, a deck with a guy's cradle is not better than one without if everything else is the same. Um, that's very true, yeah. So, it's interesting to me that you would be upset by the uh. By the, the it, skin, the, you know, the, the bias skin nature of the red neon ink card. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's just I am a collector of unique arts. Like, that's something that I, I actually really embrace Wizards having alternate arts for just about every set now. I really like that because uh, it lets me kind of proxy or playtest art a deck without actually, like, having to pay an artist to do it. Um, and so it's like... I think that card, you're right, is iffy at best, but would I have liked to have a copy just to have it? Yeah, but I'm not going to pay $2,600 or $1,600 for it. That'll just be something that'll never be in my collection, and it's just a little sad that it's like, man, why why did it have to be so rare? Uh, I mean, heck, even the yellow one's selling for like almost 1000 and that one's hideous. Looks like a highlighter. But isn't it? Isn't the very fact that there are some things that are not obtainable what makes it fun to try and obtain things? Oh. It's it hurts me because I, I am the type of person like if I see something and I want it, I, I go get it. I figure out how to do it. But why and would I you just, want things if they, it was just like they just handed everything to everybody on the street? Right. Like if everybody just had it. Part of the reason to want to uh, uh, procure things of that nature are 
is the fact the rarity. That, yeah. Yes, exactly. So the I, I think the the red nine ink actually plays into it, you know it because I don't give a crap about any foils or anything. Jimmy <laughs> Cash is posty. Sure. They they care about that stuff a lot. Like they want their next yeah. foil and whatever. I do not care. I'm not a skins guy. I don't buy skins in games. I don't. I just don't care. It's fine if people do, you yeah. know. But I think they're creating the red uh, neon ink for you more than me, which That's is fair. Funny, which is funny that it gets to you so much. Yep, yep. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. It's just I feel like with iffy, crappy cards, just because there's a special art of it, it shouldn't make it thousands of dollars. I kind of said this, Josh, and I'll, I'll get off my soap because I could go on for an hour. Uh, the uh, verdant gear Hulk masterpiece you can get for $40. Yeah. I would put this Hidetsugu probably as playable as that is. Yeah. If so how's that 40? This is, yeah, if that. It, how's that 40? And this is 1600 Uh, Anyways, Murphy, what I, what I am hearing, you. what I am hearing everybody say, just to wrap this up and put a bow <laughs> on it, what I heard you guys say is that Gaia's Cradle isn't as good as we think it is. Because you won't draw it every game. Is you want a hot take? It's that variance is real. Get with it, sheeple. Variance is real. <laughs> probably guys. Will do example. as much for your deck. Underworld under uh, Underground Sea probably was a better example for that. Then right. right. Yeah, like, probably. As far as how good that people think that makes your deck versus how much better it improves it, right? Sure, totally. Well, Josh, uh, this was very insightful. I, you know, I'm very glad that you a agreed to obviously be on the channel today. Yeah. But also, I'm glad that I was able. We were able to come up with some questions that you guys probably don't get asked a whole bunch. Yeah, um, I, I wish you know, we could have tackled the sponsorship stuff. I know that was a thing, and you mentioned yeah. it earlier, and we didn't have enough time to get to. So. I guess, you know, we'll circle around for another couple of years. Maybe I can come back on and uh, talk about the, the sponsorship. I'm just kidding. It, it's literally been two years for those that don't know of us trying to hook up. So I'm sorry it took so long, but maybe we can do it no, in less time no, than that. Okay. I, can, I can answer some of your other questions. <laughs> well, the funny thing is if, if it takes as long to do that, that one of the other questions that we had written down that didn't answer was like fast forward six years into the future, where do you see the command zone? I guess just the next time we'll sync up, it'll be uh, that state and we'll just be like, hey, what happened in the last two or six years? There you go. Uh, there you go. All right, guys. Game Nights the movie. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> Directed yes. by Steven Spielberg. Nope, nope. Here it is. It's Game Nights and Oculus. We've created a 4D experience of Ooh. Game Nights. Oh. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, you just watch it, but you feel like you're just at the table walking around. Like I know. And as cards are elevating off, they actually hit you in the face. Oh, there you what's, go. What's that? <laughs> you get cyclonic rifted. Your whole headset just spins you into the sky. <laughs> Um, well, guys, that was What's the Plane Chase? And now a quick little intro about our amazing store. Hey there, collective. Do you need a new playmat? Do you need some sleeves? Have you been forgetting your upkeep triggers? Well, be sure to head over to cmdtower.com slash merch and be able to pick up all the great swag made for you guys. It could be the Mr. Comma number five reminder token. It could be the squee mcgee get up and fight coin or heck even our foil playmat or jund holiday sweaters all of it's there go check it out and now for those underplayed legends let's investigate with the weatherland so uh usually we here at cmd tower have one of the cast do this but we literally have josh 
who, um, if you've been living under a rock, you know, he has great content out there like Game Nights. Uh, but he does a very cool thing where it seems like, I don't know if you do this on purpose, but you always seem to find these obscure cards that are just bangers sometimes. And then you end up causing a price hike and it is all your fault. Um, <laughs> and so we thought it would be fun today uh, to hear your Weatherlight report. So Josh, uh, what legend are we going to be talking about? And then why don't you give us a few cards that you think would really make that legend pop? Okay, so we're going to be talking about Rutha, Mercurial Artist. This is one of the uncommon legends from Strixhaven. Um, you want me to read the card? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, it's one, a blue, and a red, so three mana for a 1-4 legendary orc shaman. You can pay two and return Rutha to its owner's hand, and you copy target instant or sorcery spell you control, and you can choose new targets for the copy. So she's kind of a bounce herself to your hand and then fork something type of commander. Uh, I like her because she's... Go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, this seems like this is... I mean, it's a bad version because it's, it's an uncommon so it has its drawbacks but this just screams you like spell slinging <laughs> copying being able to somehow cheat her out and do it over and over again like have you considered building her or did she pique your interest when the set uh, got previewed last year yeah i definitely for sure and i wish the sets weren't coming out quite so fast because i probably would have built <laughs> like if the, if the, yeah. this card came out in 20 you know 15 i probably built it but now yeah. we're just moving so fast that you don't have time uh to build multiple decks from one set anymore I think definitely an underrated ability. Forking stuff is just an old school trick, right? Fork is from alpha. So it's just something that I generally like to do. So yeah, I thought it'd be fun to talk about. Um, if you look through EDH rec, you know, as usual, they have a pretty good starting point for the deck, but there's not a ton of decks on EDH rec for it. There's only 212. So I, I like legends like this because there's just not a lot of data. So you're kind of forced to do some digging on your own. And yeah, I think it's something that we've gotten pretty good at on our show because of the fact that most of the time when we're building our decks for like game nights, the world just doesn't know about the cards that we're brewing. So there's no way to go to EDHREC and build around it. So all the decks that you sure. see on game nights, we just had to come up with it before Reddit knew about the card, right? Um, so looking through her EDHREC stuff, there were some notable cards I thought probably belong in the deck that were missing. Um, okay. The first one was Training Grounds, which I know is an expensive card. Oh, yeah. But because uh, it will reduce the cost, it will half the cost, basically, um, making her making you pay one mana to return her to your hand and then fork the thing instead of two. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is, right? Like, if something mm -hmm. is half as much as it was, that's a 50% <laughs> discount. That will make a big difference. And often, games are won or lost by that one mana. How many times at the end of a game yep. have you heard somebody say, oh, if I just had one more mana, I would have won, right? Every single game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Heartstone is another um, card. Both Training Grounds and Heartstone reduce the cost of activated abilities. And the difference between the two cards is that Training Grounds only reduces yours, and Heartstone re reduces everybody's. And Heartstone only reduces by one, but for Rutha, that's all we need. So I think both of those cards or either of them could be on this list uh, and be pretty good. Another one I really oh. like that's not on EDHREC is Baron Tolarian Archmage, which is from N M21. It's a three mana two two, but it says um, at the beginning of your end step, if a permanent was put into your hand from the battlefield this turn, draw a card. Oh, nice! So this just means that Ruth is going to draw your card uh, every time you do the thing. So another way to just take advantage of that bounce. 
A similar thing mm-hmm. would be like Tome of Legends, which I think is probably pretty good as well, which cares about the number of times you've cast your your commander has entered the battlefield. Uh, there's a bunch of cards that care how many times you've cast your commander, but some of them care if you've cast it from the command zone or not. Tome of Legends is just like, how many times has your commander entered the yep. battlefield? So, And then allows you to, to remove counters and draw cards based on that. So that's another way to sort of turn the fact that you're bouncing Rutha to your hand quite often into additional card draw. Do you think, Josh, in this kind of build, would there be an... Because I know, is it usually the way that you quote-unquote ramp is going to be through artifacts? Mm-hmm. Um, seeing Tome of Legends and probably how often... Because I feel like if you're doing this deck well, Rutha should be bouncing probably multiple times a turn cycle. Um, do you think uh, Unwinding Clock would be like a key card to have in here? Because you'll have so many artifacts that'll be tapping, untapping. Like, you draw a card on everyone's turn with this. Yeah, and I think, honestly, as we've seen the format sort of speed up in recent years. And one of the big reasons is I I believe because of two mana rocks that most decks that don't have green are running so many artifact ramp cards that unwinding clock becomes good in almost any deck now. Oh, okay. Even better in a deck like this where, yeah, maybe you have Tome of Legends and some other stuff like that. Uh, So yeah, I I agree with that assessment. Uh, Another card I think would be really cool is uh, Flamekin Herald. This is Mm. a card from... Commander Legends that's a little under the radar. And I think it's because, well, let me read it. It's two and a red for a three, two. It says Commander spells you cast have Cascade. Oh, that's so, dope. Yeah. So we we were not very high on this card when we did the set review because we have done our data, and you might guys might have seen like some of our stats episodes, where even two CMC commanders only get cast like in, uh, less than twice a game. It's like 1.8 times a game or something like that. Like you think you're casting your commander a lot in a game. And you just really aren't like that's just not but not this deck. Rutha definitely is just built around because you're not going to the command zone. You're putting yeah. it back out and then ca- and then put return it to your hand and putting it back out and, you know, return it to hand. Like you said, maybe doing that multiple times a turn. Well, Flamekin doesn't even say the first time you cast your commander or anything like that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is just a way that you could cascade at least, you know, probably into those two mana rocks and things like that, which might allow you to cast her even more times. Um, yeah, I think this card is the Flamekin Herald is just generally not very good because people overestimate the number of times they're going to cast their commander. But but Rutha uh, breaks the mold in that way. Well, considering this is kind of a going to be like a spell slingery deck, I'm curious because one thing I have seen a lot more of is clone effects. Mm. Do you think this is a deck because you're probably going to be casting Rutha a ton? Is it is it like a little spicy thing? Like, hey, I'm going to put like three or four clone effects because I'd love to have three or four Flamekin Heralds to get four Ooh. Cascade triggers on every single oh, cast. Man. Especially the clone effects that are instants and sorceries, right? That create a token copy. Yeah. Now you can now you can use those <laughs> doubled up those triggers with um, by forking them with Rutha, make the Flamekin Heralds. Now you cast, yeah, you cast Rutha and maybe like Cascade four times or something nuts like that. That'd be sweet for sure. <laughs> that would yeah, be that's really a cool. good idea. I didn't have that on my list, but I like that. Uh, I got one more card to talk about here. All right. And, uh, again, it's a card that's taking advantage of the fact that you're casting Ruta over and over, and it is Skyfire Phoenix. So this is a, a card that you can just recur uh, every time you cast mm. your commander. And again, it's a 3-3 flyer for four with flying in haste, but when you cast your commander, you can return it from your graveyard to the battlefield. And I think, you know... It depends on the makeup of the deck, but if the deck has some sack outlets like a Nationod's Altar or something like this, this could be really, really powerful with Rutha because you go, boom, sack it to the Ashnods. That pays for Rutha to bounce herself, comes back out now that you recast her. So it's basically like getting two free extra mana or something like that. Uh, and also, you know, just good value, I think, if you're going to be recasting yeah. your commander a lot. So 
Yeah, I was actually going to say, I mean, the sack outlet thing just seems perfect because, I mean, you could almost have this loop of uh, basically Skyfire always pays your fork cost. So you only need to figure out, is it colorless to be able to do it every time? Um, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I, am yeah, so I building this deck right now? Is that what's happening? <laughs> this, this, this feels like I'm building this. <laughs> See, I, I think it'd be cool, uh, Murph, if you actually did build it. But when you sit down, it's like, hey, guys, it's just an uncommon. It's not even that good. Yeah. And then it's just like straight gas the whole time. Then you're just like, fork my expropriate. How you like me now? How you like them apples? <laughs> well, that was really cool, Josh. This was a, a great take on Rutha. Um, yeah. Definitely, I'm shocked that things like Training Grounds weren't showing up on EDH Rec. I think probably um, I, that one specifically because it's an expensive card, and that tends right. to, Fair. When, when there's not a lot of data, that tends to be the case, yeah. Yeah, um, but, you know, it's definitely, guys... I think we'll even probably do a future MTG Action 4 news episode about how to do deck research and building philosophies when you don't really have a lot of data. Um, you know, I've actually started doing some things and it sounds weird, but I literally go into like Google Images and just type in uh, white, black, MTG, what am I kind of looking for? And just hitting enter and like what shows up and the most obscure things come up. It's so cool. Yeah. I, Scryfall and knowing how to like, write the correct text in like you know whenever create token you know whatever how to how to look for the right colors and the right phrasing and stuff is a, is a big tool and then edhrec of course still really good but you're using it in a different way you're probably clicking on a commander that's kind of similar to what rutha does and like following the rabbit hole of like oh this is an interesting card what what other cards go in decks with this card and then kind of building from there it's you know, it's it's really fun. I would encourage people to do that even when they're building around decks that have a lot of lists because you can still find cards that you're like, this. more people should be using this card for sure, but yeah. it's just not yep. showing up in the data, yeah. Very cool. Well, guys, uh, the last thing that we'll say, you know, just a reminder, uh, abyssproxyshop.com, use code CMD Tower does get you 10% off, and these are the playtest cards that you guys have seen on our Game of Thrones episodes, uh, my Mystical Archive episode, which I believe came out last weekend, and, uh, um, you know, I know, like, a bunch of our patrons have already gone on there. You can double dip with the discount, so that's pretty cool. Um, so if you guys are looking for some playtest cards, uh, maybe there's that super expensive foil red stupid Hidetsugu that you just refuse to pay $1,600 for, well, maybe there's just like a weird uh, playtest version of it that you could do instead uh, and just tell yourself it's real. It's a real boy. It's a real boy. Or just, but, uh, they, just buy the like regular, you know, is there a, just like a regular it. foil etched version of it? No, and just be like, cool. My card does the same as that $1,600 one. <laughs> and who feels like a winner now? <laughs> I don't know. They'll still probably rub it in somehow and just burn me. <laughs> uh, but guys, thanks for staying with us. This is a great episode. And remember to support your news team by retweeting, subscribing, following, liking, and sharing the episode. Uh, going a little off script, Josh, shameless plug time, as we always call it. Uh, if people don't know how to find your content, uh, how would they do that? And is there anything that you want to hint at or let the people know, hey, something exciting's coming? Tune in around there. Floor is yours. Oh, sure. Uh, if you want to find any of our stuff, we're at the Command Zone on YouTube. Game Nights, Nights with a K is our big show. If you haven't seen that, you should definitely check it out. Uh, we try and be entertaining with the Commander gameplay for um, for children and adults of all ages. And <laughs> I don't know if we, we... We definitely are starting to work on... Uh, well, I'll tease this. We are shooting the new Capenna episode of Game Nights here coming up pretty soon. So that's going to be coming out in April. 
And awesome. Yeah, we've got some cool guests for that one. That's going to be exciting. We also have some big stuff coming up for the command zone. We're probably going to be moving to a new building here soon and really expanding our capabilities. So I'm hoping that's, you know, that's months of development and stuff before you'll probably start to notice it. But I, I think we're going to take some big leaps and bounds forward this year, which is really exciting. Wow, that is super exciting. Uh, I know all of us will welcome more, uh, you know, videos from you guys because you guys just do a, a great job. Um, now, if you guys want to stay in touch with uh, the team, you can just follow us at CMD Tower on Twitter. Uh, we do have uh, all of us listed in the notes there. So you can, you know, my Twitter, Murph's Twitter, Tuck's Twitter, all that's on there. So uh, just uh, Josh, again, thank you for this. And yeah, thanks for coming of on. of course, guys. From your MTG Action 4 News team, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thanks, everybody.